Well, I have uh, twice as much to say than I have time, so I'm going to move. Um, and I hope you'll give me grace there. And with that, I do have some announcements that this is the time of year. There's always announcements this time of year, and they're important, so I want to take a little bit of time with them. Uh, Memorial Day picnic is coming up. Oh, by the way, if, if you have been coming for a while, but you have not asked to be signed up for the weekly update, every week we send out, we, we're pretty disciplined to send out one email with all that's happening in the life of the church, uh, which keeps you up to date, and it it'll makes you, kind of brings you in to get uh, the kind of emails and information I'm going to talk about today. So it's on the uh, communication card. You can check it, and I know they took the offering, but just leave it up here, and it'll get in the offering plate next time. But all of this will be given to you typically every Thursday afternoon so when it comes to you. The Memorial Day picnic is coming up and uh, on Memorial Day. It's going to be at our house again, and so you're welcome to come. In the weekly update, uh, our address is there, but you can get that in uh, several different ways. Historically, we've said bring meat and a dish to share, like something to grill and a dish to share. We're doing it a little differently this year. The grill team has taken the full burden of grilling. So they are providing the meats, and all they're asking you to do is bring a dish to share, some kind of casserole or salad or dessert or dessert, uh, to share. Uh, and they all grill the hot dogs and the hamburgers, and I, I even queried John. I think there's, there'll be a veggie option if you need it. Uh, but um, in return for that, are you ready for the price? It's $2 a person or $5 a family. That's a good deal. <laughs> it's worth coming to even if you're not big on Memorial Day or our house. Just come on out and just feed. So, Memorial Day, 3 p.m. until whenever, uh, come on out. Uh, VBS, did we mention that you should register? Okay, good. Uh, okay, and then the last thing I want to talk about is the name. Uh, this today, am I right about today? When you go home, you'll get an email. It'll be uh, an email shot out to you with a survey of three names. Uh, we are narrowing down to the next step of the process. And so, three names are going to come to you via email for a survey that, that uh, you're to take. I'll tell you about the names in a, in a second, uh, but I, I want to uh, encourage you before I do this that not only would you take the name, and this is a great way, by the way, for you to ferret out your own heart on, on some of these things. I don't sim- we don't simply want you to take the name. What a great opportunity to turn to your neighbor or your colleague or your coworker and say, uh, would you take the survey? So it's coming to you, the, the survey's coming to you in an email that you could forward right along to a friend and have them take the survey. Because we would, we would love it if we had, uh, you know, two or three times as many, many folks outside the church giving us their thoughts as, as inside the church. And we can filter all of it, so this is not a vote or anything like that. We have smart ways that we can kind of look at the, look at the results, but I would encourage you to do that. And it is such a good way to enter into a conversation. You, you know, we all, we all have friends and colleagues and neighbors who we would like to talk to about the Lord or about the things of God, but you never quite, maybe you can't figure out how. This is a great opportunity to say, watch this, this is how it sounds, okay? Hey, my church, uh, you know, is going through a name change, and we have a couple of names, and I, you know, we've never really talked about it. I, I don't know whether you're in the church or whether it's been a while, but I was wondering if you wouldn't just mind taking a 10-minute survey, letting them know, and then if you had any questions, 
I'd be curious to know what you thought about it. You're done. Like, good job. You can do that. So I, I, hope, I hope you do that with the survey. And, and with that, you know what, um, I got to tell you, the survey or the name has been something in my heart that I have kind of suffered. It's been a suffering for the name. And the Lord is, is doing a work in me to say, this is an opportunity. This is a good thing. Embrace the idea. And I encourage you to do that, to embrace this idea uh, that, that we, we get to live under a new name and we get to speak that. And any time you do that, you have a chance to re- renew your conversation with your community. So I encourage that upon you. Now, here's, here's the names. Uh, I'm going to give you the three names. And I'm going to kind of backfill them, try to give them a little bit of body so that uh, you have something. If you're like me, when you're going to see the names, you're going to, you'll be, eh. hmm. because it's a new name. It's, it's the visiting team. Right? It, it's it, the home, home field advantage. It doesn't have it. So I, if that's you, there's nothing wrong with you, or at least there's a lot wrong with you, but you're just like me. I don't know which one it is, okay? But that's how it is. So uh, what I want to do is give you the name and give you enough behind it so that you can say, I see why. I, I see, I see my, what might be in the name. So the first name is Sanctuary Church. Sanctuary Church, which you might think, like, how can this is not a sanctuary? Right? But um, I think the name captures the irony that this church has always had, which is, is a beautiful church in a cinder block room. And, and, and so that name is, is reaching the idea. A sanctuary is God's dwelling place with man. So we're saying, uh, you know, the people of this church are the stained glass windows of this church. And, and that's what's behind the idea of sanctuary churches, is this is a beautiful church because God's people and his work among us make it beautiful. Okay, so that's the sanctuary church. The next name is Sycamore Hill Church. This is, these are the three you'll see, Sycamore Hill Church. And this of the three holds hands probably most with the, the heritage of our church. So for those of you who don't know, there's a big tree out there. It is called a sycamore tree. The room right beside it, we have entitled the Sycamore Room. And the Sycamore Room is where the church first met when they acquired this building, what, it's about 30 years ago. 30 years ago, when there was this vision for what this church might become, but there were only enough people for the room. So it began in the Sycamore Room. And, um, I mean, obviously there's uh, stories in Scripture that he is climbing up the Sycamore Tree of a place he went to see Christ. Um, but th- that name also holds on to, to kind of the heritage of the church. And then the third name is Redemption Hill Church. And I want to say a quick word about the word hill. Um, Hill actually surfaced, the theme surfaced again and again and again when the church was offering suggestions for names, this idea of hill. And I don't think the church was thinking, because we are on a hill, though we are, uh, you know, and Loma is on a hill, but I wouldn't think they think of themselves on a hill, and we may not always be in a hill. Or a church that we plant may not be in a hill. I don't think that was what's behind the hill. I think what's behind the hill is we are a city on a hill. Um, we, uh, Christ was crucified on a hill. So Redemption Hill is kind of isolating that idea of the work that God did for us on that hill. Um, so those are the three names for you. And there's, there's substance behind them. And we can live into them, certainly. <laughs> I'll say, your survey is not a vote. Um, so we're just trying to understand, seek the Lord on what the next step is. So please take it with a spirit of care. 
there is such a thing as a survey spirit in the world. People love giving five stars or one star. It's just something true about us. So we detected a fair amount of snark at the last survey. Just letting you know that. I I owe it to you to say uh, it was seen. Okay. That's, That's your responsibility, is to have the right spirit as we move forward. All right. Now we're to the sermon. Oh, brother. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 21. It's page 796, if you're using one, one of the ones we have for you. We're going to talk about, oh, this is so timely. It is, this is such a, good, such a good word today. I'm so grateful for it, which is why I really want to be able to, to uh, bring, it, bring it to you. Um, you know, when, you, when you're dating someone, uh, in the question, and you're enamored with them, ah, and it's like, what do you want to eat? And so the, it goes to this five-minute thing. Well, I don't know, wherever you want to eat. Well, I just want to eat with you and eat. I don't even need to eat. I just need to be with you. And, ah, there's that, okay? And then you get married and you go through the honeymoon period. And then it's like, why do we have to go there? We always go there. <laughs> you, you stupid pizza. You enter that phase, right, where your individual opinions, for crying out loud, they have not had chance in the sunlight. By golly, you have the right to go to a new place. Every, most of relationships deal with this, but certainly marriages deal with this, where, you know, before, because of your enamored love, you lovingly bowed down and did, chose not to care about anything but them. And then when you realized, ultimately, all you've ever really been caring about for yourself, and so and it hasn't been nurtured, so then you get to this patient in your marriage where you, you, your opinion now is very important, and then Lord willing, just so I want you to know, every marriage, if you're in there, every marriage gets there, and the marriages that mature beyond it do not mature beyond it by agreeing on a mutual favorite place to eat. That's not how marriages that mature beyond that moment get there. Marriages that mature they do not sacrifice their opinions about things. So if you're sitting in the funk, going, when is he going to agree with me? Or when is she going to see it my way? I'm here to tell you that the marriages that mature and flourish from that point do not mature and flourish by the other person agreeing with you. They mature by you putting your interests in the right place. So you kind of smile and you go, this person likes to eat there. And they just like to eat there. And I love them when I go there to eat there. And he likes to watch that show, and I think it's a silly show. But the issue's silly, so who cares? And he doesn't say, I love you enough, but I know he loves me. And so really, it's my issue. He loves me. Or she doesn't like to go out and... Mountain bike. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Usually when the marriages have matured, they're no longer mountain biking. But, uh, <laughs> but do you see? You see what ends up happening is the man and the woman become one by becoming one in spirit. And it doesn't mean that they forfeited or got rid of their opinions. Okay, hold on to that because you're going to see it today. And it's for the church. I believe it's for the church. 
Okay, before I read the 21st chapter, I want to read two verses in chapter 20 from last week. Okay? This is Paul the Apostle. He's preparing to go to Jerusalem. It's going to be a big deal. His life is going to be placed at grave, in grave danger. And this is what he says in the 20th chapter to his friends in Ephesus. And now behold, I'm in 22, verse 22, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I'm going by the Spirit. Paul is constrained by the Spirit or bound by the Spirit to go. So Paul has this great sense urging that he has to go to Jerusalem, even though the same Spirit testifies to him in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await him. Okay? You got that? So then he sets off. And I'm going to read in in chapter 20, I'm going to read 21, I'm going to read 16 verses. Chapter 21. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we parted, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Isn't that a pretty sight? This small little church coming out, men, women, and children, and kneeling on the sea and watching them get on the boat. They don't think they'll ever see him again. This is beautiful, really beautiful. Verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemaeus. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, He took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of, I don't know how to say that, of Cyprus an early disciple 
with whom we should lodge. Okay, there's a, a lot here. But what I want to draw out is the situation that we see regarding the Holy Spirit and the will of God for Paul as it relates to Jerusalem. So in chapter 20, verse 22, he says, I have been constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I know I have to go to Jerusalem, even though the very same Spirit testifies to me in every city that I go that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Then you get to 21, verse 4, where it says, The Christians, the brothers entire, it says, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So you have the Holy Spirit telling Paul to go to Jerusalem. Then you have the believers entire saying, Don't go to Jerusalem. To add to that, when he ends up in Caesarea, he's with Philip and these four daughters who prophesy, these four virgin prophets. Okay, and what do they say? Nothing. You're almost waiting for the long story. I mean, who says this? Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, he has four unmarried daughters who prophesied, and they said, they didn't say anything. So the Spirit's telling him to go. Through the Spirit, the people entire are saying, don't go. These young women who have been given the gift of prophecy don't have a word to say. Then in comes Agabus from the outside, and he comes and he drops a prophecy on them in the old fashion, the Ezekiel fashion, where he grabs Paul's belt and he binds himself, and he does this display. He says, I say this, he who owns this belt like this, he will be bound by the Jews and delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, not when, if he goes to Jerusalem, but when he goes to Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's in the old style. Thus says the Holy Spirit. It's a declaration. It appears to be a declaration that Paul will go to Jerusalem. It's not a conditional statement. It's a predictive prophecy. So then you're like, okay, I guess he is supposed to go to Jerusalem. But it, then it says, but the companions of Paul, the we, so Luke the author of this book, and the others traveling alongside. When we heard Agabus, is what it says here in the 12th verse, we the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. We pleaded with him and tried to persuade him again and again and again and again, and he wouldn't hear it. So what's the right answer? He feels an urging in the spirit to go, the believers entire through the Spirit say, don't go. The girls who have the spirit of prophecy don't say a word. Agabus comes out of nowhere and does this massive prediction. This says the Holy Spirit that you will be there, at which the very people, your best friends, your companions, who, by the way, know the Spirit. Okay? We have every reason to think that the people who travel with Paul, they know persecution. They know the Spirit. They are his friends who have been with him in thick and thin, who have been shackled in Philippi and had stones thrown to them throughout. They they know the walk that Paul's walking because they've walked with him. And when they hear Agabus say, you will go, they say, don't go. Now, my goal this morning is not to answer the question, well, I'm going to answer it, but it's not to spend time on the question, will the, does the Spirit stand in contradiction to himself? The answer is no. The Spirit does not contradict himself. 
the Lord is unchanging and perfect, and there is no contradiction in him. But I don't want to make a topical study about that. I want to give you the answer. See, the Bible is robust, robust in telling us the unified nature of the Lord, that Jesus does what the Father would have him do. Likewise, the Spirit is unified with him, and the Word is perfect. So the question is not, is the spirit in contradiction to itself? The question is, is how do the people of God understand what the spirit is doing? What, in fact, what I want you to appreciate is how hard it must be, how hard it really is to follow the spirit. You, we, sometimes we think, if you're like me, you think, I wish the Holy Spirit would just drop it on me. Boom. Write it on the wall. Then it would be easy. It wouldn't be easy. It would not be easy. Paul has that spiritual clarity in him. And everyone around Paul is saying, don't do it. In the Spirit. The people he trusts. Just like parents. You know, parents, you, you have a son who says, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to learn Arabic so I can go into the Pashtun area of Pakistan to bring the gospel to the people who hate us so. And you will, in the spirit, say, I don't think you should do that. Because you love them, and in your conception of what is best, you want something best for them. I mean, it's hard. It is hard to follow the Spirit. Even when he puts something in you that is true, because good godly counsel all around you can say, I don't, I don't think so. We've thought about this. We've prayed about this. We've fasted about this. It's hard as an example, I think uh, Loma is a good example in, the hist- in my history with this church. Loma was a good example. And m- I think many of you were, were present during that time and, and felt this. At different, different, we played different roles uh, in, this, in this account. Uh, those of you who don't know, I'll just say it to you in like a very crass and earthy way so you can appreciate how easy it was for there to be a, are you sure about this? On May 23rd of 2010, the church, that means the room here, found out that we had the opportunity to rent, uh, well, buy a coffee shop in downtown Wilmington where nobody was drinking coffee in a place where the coffee shop had failed. Nobody really hung out down there. We weren't down there. And we had the opportunity to spend a lot of money on it and we made the decision in the summer. And we voted to do it by the narrowest of margins. And all around that question was a spirit of, you know, again, different roles, different characters. But in, in my life was, I think we should do this. Does the young whippersnapper like lay it all in line in front of the church on something like that? 
I think we should, I think the Lord is in this. I think the Lord is saying, go do this. Oof, man, I felt that. And people I love in this church would take me out to lunch. Say, can you work the math out on that for me? Really? Really? But we did it. And I think the Lord was in it. Well, the Lord is meeting there right now, baptizing people today. Two Jews have come to Jesus through the church at home. So the Spirit was in it. It was hard. Oh, it was so hard. It's hard for all of us. It was not hard for one person. It was hard for the people who were in that question, who were going to give money. And, and, and the reason I say that is because there are times in our life where what the Spirit actually wants us to do is ambiguous or difficult or unclear. Or we may have different opinions in this body as to what we think the right thing to do is, but to have a different opinion on what the Spirit wants us to do is a totally different thing from being one in spirit. One in the Spirit is another matter. Thinking what, knowing what the Spirit wants from us, there's no way, I'm just telling you, I can't find the chapter in the verse, but I will tell you, there is no way that the Holy Spirit is ever going to drop into this church and say to every single person in the exact way that they need to hear where we need to go at exactly the right way, at exactly the right time, so we all go in unison, that's it. There's no growth in that. There's no, there's no spirit of faith in that. There's no spirit of submission in that. There's no spirit of stretching yourself out and saying, I don't understand, but I'm going to step. How does the Lord measure that? How does the Lord bring us into a life of faith? These things, this, this, this journey here, they're pleading with Paul, don't go. All the calculus that they can do, the most Christian arithmetic they can do on this is saying, the best thing I can do is discourage Paul from going, to discourage Paul from going to Jerusalem. But did you notice verse 14? This says, And when he would not be persuaded, this is the best verse in this chapter. When he would not be persuaded, we said, Let the will of the Lord be done. And they leave with him. Do you notice in 16? So the companions go with him in 15. And it says, And some of the disciples of Caesarea went with us. So he comes into Caesarea with a group of companions. When he leaves Caesarea, even though everybody's saying, don't do it, it's going to hurt, don't do it, you're going to be imprisoned, thus says the Holy Spirit, like I'm bound, so will you be bound. Even though everyone knows, more people go with him to Jerusalem than when he came to that town. That is awesome. In other words, if he's that, if he's that convinced that the Holy Spirit's in it, then I want to be, I will be with him in it. That's, this is one in spirit. Do you think they laid down their opinion? No. Do you think they figured it all out? No, you, you have this kind of divine throwing up of your hands where, Lord, your will be done. There's a truth. When a community of believers, when God's people are one in spirit, when they're really one in spirit, how wrong can they really be? I mean, obviously, 
can have a bad spirit. But when they're seeking the Lord and they're trying to know what exactly does God want us to do? What does he want us to be? When there's a a general common sense of, of where we're trying to be and who we're trying to become, when that's true... Do you think the Lord is going to say, well, actually, I didn't want you to go to 239 North Market. I wanted you to go to 439 North Market, you dummy. Do you think the Lord's going to do that? As a father or as a parent, if you had two children who were going to get up early and with a heart, an obedient heart, try to obey you, they couldn't remember. One of the children thought you wanted them to do the laundry, and the other child thought you wanted them to do the dishes, and the other child thought you wanted them to vacuum. And they went around and around and around and around until the oldest brother said, I'm telling you, we're doing the dishes. And you came down, and the dishes were all done, and the brothers had all worked together, and you, what did you say? You dummies, I said the laundry. No. Versus what would you do if you came down and they were saying, laundry, dishes, vacuum, laundry, dishes, vacuum. <laughs> right? If you were doing that, coming down to this kind of, well, we couldn't agree on what to do. I mean, so you didn't do anything. I'm just saying, if we are pursuing the Holy Spirit, how wrong? Don't you think the Lord will make up for our inadequacy, our failed spiritual intellect? Our dullness of mind, that's all we brought to the Lord at conversion anyway, is, Lord, I cannot hear you well. Lord, I cannot follow you well. Lord, I am flawed comprehensively from my head to my toe. I need the redemption that Jesus Christ offers. Do you think the same God who loved us and saved us out of that is going to mark us out on technicality? Or is he going to look at a church that says, We had a lot of opinions, but we moved to be closer to you. This is what it means to be of one in spirit. It does not mean knowing the right answer. We think if we knew what the spirit wanted us to do, we could do it as though it would be easy. And maybe it would be. I doubt it. This is what's true about being one in the Spirit. It's easy to know about. It's so hard to be. Okay? It is so hard to be one in Spirit. And yet we can know. We know how to do it. It does not mean agreement. Being one in Spirit does not mean agreement. It means mutual commitment. Being one in Spirit does not mean winning or losing. It means binding ourselves together in Christ. That's what being one in spirit means. Recognizing what the first things are and recognizing that being one in spirit is a first thing for the people of God. Being one in spirit does not mean that you stop caring or that you don't have an opinion, but rather it is a careful ordering of the things you care about. Did you hear that? It's a very careful and humble ordering of the things you care about. Being one in spirit does not dig our heels in It loves, and it has a spirit to go with. Careful, attentive submission that we don't lack, we lack clarity. God, I don't understand. But we're going. 
The Lord calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he says. Worship me in spirit and in truth. Between spirit and truth is this, this great divide called the Christian life. We know spirit. We have truth. Most of life is lived in here, right? Where the unity and the unity of spirit plays itself out all the time. Think about your marriage. So much of life, so much of a successful relationship is lived in loving compromise. Not compromise over things that are compromising from truth or from the spirit, Compromising about the things we just care about. What we can see here, by the way, is I'll just show you a couple things we can see that help guide us as far as what is, when do we stay one in the spirit, when do we seek, or when do we have to sever this unity. What we can see here is the matter at hand in chapter 21 does not run in contradiction to the truth of God. In other words, Paul is not feeling like he's led by some spirit to go to Jerusalem and deny the, the divinity of Jesus. That's not, that's not the kind of thing that's at play here. There's no sacrifice of truth that's occurring. If there was, it would be a place where you'd say, unity cannot abide in that place. Likewise, Paul's endeavor does not seem to involve any obvious sin or sinful motivation. Now, Paul is not without sin, but the scriptures do not show us that Paul has any kind of sinful desire or angle here. Rather, it seems his motivation is quite the opposite. Paul's motivation is to go to proclaim the gospel to people who have not heard into a place that he knows is going to require great personal sacrifice. He's, in fact, walking the path of Jesus, going into the city that will mean his demise. So then if you, when you're trying to go, is this an area of unity of spirit? And you say, well, truth is, is not at stake here. This isn't an issue where I have to compromise on truth in order to stay together. So that's not it. And you say, sin doesn't seem to be at play either here. It doesn't seem that the motivation here is anything but a godly motivation. That's in the realm of, well, then therefore, place in careful order all the other things you care about. And go. The name is a great example. I wouldn't say this unless I felt like this chapter was forcing me to say it. It is such a great example. In each one of us, we have opinions and tendencies and preferences and all of these sorts of things. We need to place those in order. I gotta tell you, I have prayed. I know some of you have prayed because you've said it to me that we want the Spirit to drop a name. The name. I can't even give you an example. Because someone will be like, is that it? The name shall be. And if we only knew that, we would do it. I can pretty much guarantee you that is not going to happen. And I no longer pray for it to happen. Because I have now embraced what God is really trying to do for us. Which is says, this is a second order <coughs> issue to see how you manage the unity of the spirit, which is a first order matter. This is a gift to us. To practice the unity of the Spirit on a small thing so that we can then do a great thing. That's it. Nothing here is trying to violate the Word. Nothing here has a, an evil or sinful motive. It's all in the realm 
of carefully order the things you care about. The Lord calls us. I mean, when we saw that he could not be persuaded, let the will of the Lord be done. And we're coming. This is what God wants us to be like. I think you could put a million different names on that. May the Lord bless our spirits. May the Lord not may the Lord work in us so that we do not see the way he is dis- disciplining us as evil or as wrong, but as for our good. Because he's faithful. And because this world is hard and involves afflictions of all kinds. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for what you do and have done and continue to do in this fellowship. What, what, uh, there's so many things that have happened already today that seem to vie just to place before you, before your feet, our children, the service and servants in our church, these ministries. Lord, we place them all before you and we say, Lord, give us a spirit, a spirit that longs, longs to be with you, Lord. To be with you together. In Jesus' name.